0: Today on Blue 58, yes, the Packers beat the Panthers, but they sure didn't make it easy on themselves. How concerned should we be, and are there any lingering issues we should be aware of? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Muirdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. Got a lot to cover, so let's get right down to it. The Packers won. The Packers won. Got to keep taking deep breaths and reminding myself that the Packers won. It's a sloppy game. It's a tough game. Tougher than it had to be. But the Packers came out on top. And in an effort to try to start this podcast off on a positive note, I'd like you to take a second and think about your favorite play from the Packers game. Say it out loud to yourself if you have to. That's all right. I didn't have one either. Uh, This is just one of those games that's just ugly. And you're going to look back a year from now and look at the score and think, did the Packers really only squeak out an eight-point win over the Panthers? Was that really? Why? What happened there? And you're not going to be able to come up with a reason. Because I can't really come up with a reason right now. And we just finished watching this game. Gut-level feeling is this is the second-worst game of the season, probably. At best, probably tied with the Vikings' loss. Behind the Buccaneers' loss, tied with the Vikings' loss, probably ahead of the Colts' loss. But this was just flat-out ugly. The Packers were low-energy after the first quarter and a half or so. They couldn't get anything going on offense. And this seems like a team that they should have just pounded. And they did pound them pretty well early on. But then it all just ground to a halt. But they won. So let's talk about some good things, first and foremost. That opening salvo was just so good, so smooth. And I joked with a couple of friends that they should turn up the difficulty level. It looked like they were playing Madden on rookie difficulty. At least get it up to pro. At least maybe play on all pro. Got to make the AI worky a little bit. That was not a serious suggestion. Because the Packers, after that first quarter and a half or so, looked like they did suddenly ramp up the difficulty. Suddenly, there was pressure coming on Aaron Rodgers. Suddenly, the receivers weren't quite as open. But that first quarter, quarter and a half or so... Pretty darn smooth. And it looked like it was going to be a laugher there down the stretch in the first half. Second really good thing was getting Robert Tunyon to 10 touchdowns. 10 touchdowns for Tunyon. He is only the 7th Packers player in the 20th century to have 10 or more touchdown catches in a season. And he is the first tight end to join that group. Final real good thing was the defense getting to the ball. Really the defensive effort overall. In this game was pretty good. There were some bad moments there too. Yep, won't deny that. There was some bad tackling. There was some strange tactics again. In fact, one we should mention right here, while I'm thinking of it, third and one, on the Panthers' final scoring possession, the one where they kicked the field goal. Jair Alexander is right lined up right across from his man, like right in his grill. But on the other side of the field. You've got Kevin King playing off in Appleton all by himself. And whose side do they throw to? You bet. It's Kevin King. And that can't be a player deciding to do that. You'd think. You'd think. Kevin King, in his fourth season in the NFL, playing high-level football for how many years now, between college stuff and wherever he played in high school, and now in the NFL, would at least have the good sense to look slightly to his right and see, huh, the first down marker is right there. Maybe stand a little bit closer. But I digress. The defense, generally speaking, played pretty well. 16 points will take that. They got to the ball on a fairly regular basis. 12 of our ball hawks today, and they made an impact with those plays too. It wasn't just like, I don't know, sometimes you can have hollow stats. These didn't feel all that hollow. Especially Adrian Amos getting his hands on the ball consistently. Not usually his game, but he did it today. But the bad. And this is going to skew offense. Sure, there are some issues on defense, but I think the offense here is what we really have to talk about for a few reasons. First, this is an offensive team. The Packers are built around their offense. That's going to be the case as long as Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback in Green Bay. But secondly, In the way this team works, if the offense isn't clicking, the amount of pressure that is then on the defense is almost insurmountable, just by default. So much of the offense's complementary aspects toward the other phases of the game get thrown into real trouble if the offense has an off day, and they were certainly off today. They put the defense in a couple real tough spots today. But the defense, for once, kind of bailed out the offense. Broadly speaking about the offense, the third quarter offensive lull is getting to be a real problem. I'll forgive the two first half drives where they didn't do anything with their possessions. But in the second half, things got real ugly. In the third quarter, they ran 10 plays. For 16 total yards. 1.6 yards per, per play. Just awful. Just awful. But that kind of is the book on the Packers at this point. I had an interview this week with Catch Scratch Reader, the SB Nation uh, Carolina Panthers blog, and their writer asked me this. Let's forget about score positions this week. If the Packers going to blow this game, what would that most likely look like, and when does it start? First quarter, third quarter, etc.? Here's what I said. The third quarter seems to have been their trouble spot lately. As strong as they've been early in games, the on-script portion of the game plan in particular, they seem to take a bit of a nap on offense in the third quarter. If the Panthers can hang tight until the Packers inevitably cool a little bit, they can make a game of it. That's basically what the Lions did, and they were within a touchdown until late. Shorten the game, minimize the Packers' possessions, especially since they tend to play very slowly lately, and it might have a shot if their offense runs into its traditional second-half lull. I don't want to toot my own horn too much, but that is almost exactly what happened. Somehow, only being down 18 points, qualified as hanging around for the Panthers, because that's how much the Packers' offense slowed down. They let the Panthers back into this game and they let them stay in by just continuing to slong through their offense. Overall, if we move on to the second thing that I really don't like here, the game plan seemed more reminiscent of the 2018 Packers than the 2020 Packers. It didn't seem like there was much of a game plan, in fact. It seemed like we were back to... Aaron, please do something. Please, Aaron, help us. Make a play. Throw somebody open. Do something. And he couldn't because the Panthers were getting enough consistent pressure that there was no extending plays, finding that miracle opening and delivering that way. just didn't happen, didn't exist. The Lafleur offense can hum at a high level for long periods of time. But it seems like if you take away any kind of deep shot, it just grinds to a complete halt. If you look at Aaron Rodgers' throw chart for the Lafleur era losses, they get so enamored with throwing short that they kind of just throw themselves out of games. And that's almost what happened today. The game plan just had the Packers throwing short, and the Panthers rallied to the ball, made their tackles, and boy, did they tackle well. And it shut the Packers down. Credit to the Panthers. They played with a lot of attitude, a lot of drive. I almost sent a text that said when the Panthers were down 21-3 and still getting up firing after every tackle, somebody should tell these guys they're losing. They didn't play that way, and their defense nearly got them back in the game. I don't think we can get out of talking about the bad stuff without talking about the a couple weak spots, apparently, on the Packers' offense. Talk about the offensive line and wide receivers, broadly speaking. Generally, I, even way beyond generally, almost without fail this year, the offensive line has been very, very, very good. But as we've kind of come to say, the offensive line is also a weak link proposition, offensive line in general. If you don't have a weak link on your offensive line, you can figure out a way to put together a productive unit or a solid unit, even with, without premium talent, as long as you don't have that weak link. Today... The Panthers found a weak link on the Packers' offensive line, and it was Lucas Patrick. I think I would blame him for at least two of the Panthers' four sacks today. Had a huge physical mismatch with Derrick Brown, but still, just did not have a good game. Then, in the quote-unquote skill positions, the wide receivers had probably one of their worst games of the season. Drops by Devontae Adams and Alan Lazard. And uncharacteristic drops, too. There were two, at least, that didn't seem like there were issues with difficulty, degree of difficulty. Uh, Devontae Adams dropping across her as he approaches the sideline. Alan Lazard, uh, late in the first half, dropping a pass that hit him essentially right in the chest. Yes, he is leaning over the sideline there, but a very catchable ball from Aaron Rodgers and Lazard just dropped it. Mystifying. Mystifying almost seems like a focus issue for the wide receivers, and it came up again and again and again in the broadcast. But Kurt Warner, I think, was onto something a little bit when he said, You know, this is why the Packers are still waiting for one of these guys to become a real solid number two receiver across from Devontae Adams. If teams are going to rotate their coverage so heavily towards Devontae Adams. Somebody else has to be able to produce consistently. Alan Lazard and Marquez Valdez-Scantling have both shown that they can produce this year. Neither of them has shown that they can do it consistently. That's a big problem. If you're going to start game planning for playoff caliber opponents you can almost assume that they're going to do everything they can to take Devontae Adams away. If you can't count on, in the game plan, Lazard or Valdez-Scantling producing, that puts you a little bit behind the eight ball. This is not the Packers should have drafted a wide receiver. What this is, is a consistent lack of investment in that position. I think there is a small but significant difference there. Long-time listeners will recall that even after the 2018 draft, we were pretty consistently calling for veteran help at wide receiver. Now, the names in particular may turn your, your head a little bit. There was a time when I was not entirely uninterested in a guy named Antonio Brown. But the point is, the Packers have needed consistent production across from Devontae Adams for a while, quite a while. And they've continued to not invest there. And as a result, you get guys that have great upside and can do great things but can't consistently produce or just don't consistently produce. Maybe it's not that they can't, they just don't. That could be a problem. If your offense isn't clicking at 100%, if you're not scheming people open, sooner or later, somebody's going to have to just beat the person across from them and make a play. How confident are you that the Packers have somebody other than Devontae Adams who can do that? Now let's reel it back in. What does this game actually mean? It means the Packers have 11 wins. It means that after this week, They will still be in the driver's seat for the number one seed in the NFC. Other than that, I really want to avoid sweeping conclusions, really any conclusions about this game. Aaron Rodgers said after the game in his post-gamer press conference, quote, we've got plans for the playoffs and the way we played tonight on offense, we're not beating anybody in the playoffs, end quote. That is true. However, it is also true that this wasn't the playoffs. Why is it always when somebody says something like if the playoffs started today, the Packers would be blank? Everybody is so quick to point out, "Yes, but the playoffs don't start today." But when somebody says, "If this was the playoffs, we'd have gotten beaten," nobody, everyone just says, "Yes, that's true." Absolutely. If this was the playoffs, we would have gotten beaten. One is considered a serious point. The other is not. For some reason. This wasn't the playoffs. This was a short week on a weird night against a team with nothing to lose. Stakes matter for how teams approach games. I know it's kind of a fanism, a fan truism, that you should come out the same way for every single game. And yeah, you probably should but these guys are human beings. And when all you're playing for is a hypothetical advantage of getting a bye in the playoffs, when again, we've seen concrete evidence in recent Packers history of that A, not working out for the Packers, and B, having the entire opposite approach, no bye, no home games in the playoffs, result in a Super Bowl victory, that I I can forgive people a little bit for not getting up for these games the same kind of way down the stretch once they've locked up that playoff spot. Sometimes you have a clunker. And I just, the gut level reaction from this game doesn't see a lot that indicates a team in the Panthers really exploiting big Packers weaknesses. This seems like the Packers exploiting their own weaknesses. Wide receiver screens. Getting away from what you do well in the passing game. Hoping that Aaron Rodgers can figure something out. Not changing your approach on offense. It all seems like Packers stuff. It doesn't seem like Panthers stuff screwed them up. The Packers did this. And I think sometimes you just have a clunker. Sometimes you have those. Yeah, if this was the playoffs, they would have lost against a good team, but it wasn't. And they don't play a playoff team for at least three more weeks. An NFC playoff team, that is. Because the Packers are not going to have the luxury of just trying to avoid beating themselves next week. They've got a team that can actually beat them coming to Lambeau Field. Because next up, the Tennessee Titans come to Green Bay to face the Packers in primetime at Lambeau Field next Sunday night. We'll be waiting all week for Sunday night. MVP candidate Derek Henry runs his way into town. Very efficient quarterback Ryan Tannehill. Tennessee plays the Detroit Lions at noon on Sunday. Take a look at that game. Your Sunday is free. See what you think of the Titans couple random thoughts and observations before we send you on your merry way. First and foremost, continue to donate if you are willing and able to our charity campaign. We have now broken the $500 mark in donations. Everybody who donates still has a chance to win a Green Bay Packers jersey. And I hope you consider uh, joining us in this quest to raise money for the Adrian Amos, I'm Still Here Foundation. Again, any donation, send the proof, to ThePowerSweep1959 at gmail.com or tweet it to us, whichever you feel more comfortable doing. Just show us what you've done, and we will enter you in that drawing for the jersey. You've got until December 31st, 11 days. You can get there. I will put a link to this in the show notes uh, if you want more details, uh, but it's it's really not that that difficult. Make a donation. Send us a screenshot. You're in got it, good. It seems like forever ago now, uh, but the thing that almost bothered me most about this entire game was just figuring out how to watch the game itself. Now, I am a subscriber to the NFL Sunday Ticket streaming package. I do not have DirecTV, but I have the streaming package with the NFL. I'm a subscriber to NFL Game Pass, and I've got a TV antenna. You would think that that would be enough to watch the only NFL game that was on when the Packers were playing. Nope. No, it was not. I warned people ahead of time in the preview podcast to make sure that you could watch the game because it was going to be weird. I even checked myself. Can I watch this game if I've got Game Pass or Sunday ticket? Answer, by all indications, seemed to be yes. Turned on the game at 8.05, 8.10, whenever it was. As it turns out, no, I could not. It's the year 2020. We're almost to 2021. Why are my options for watching out-of-market NFL games by DirecTV or hope for the best? It seems like it should be easier than that. Completely unrelated, an interesting nugget out of this game is that Ian Thomas was moderately productive. Not an overly thrilling Panthers passing offense, but Ian Thomas did a pretty good job in it. But the more interesting thing there is the storyline for Packers fans. The Panthers took Ian Thomas, 101st overall in the 2018 NFL draft, big tight end out of Indiana. That is of note because the 101st overall pick originally belonged to the Green Bay Packers. They traded that pick, along with the 147th overall pick, to Carolina for the 88th overall pick, which they used to take Oren Burks, the same Oren Burks that appeared to be the one responsible for nearly giving up that block punt late in the Packers' win over the Panthers today. Funny how these things play out over the course of years. Speaking of draft picks, Jeremy Chin. 2020 second round pick by the Panthers was very impressive. I don't know how closely you were watching him during the game, but I couldn't take my eyes off him. He was all over the middle of the Panthers defense. He blew up a significant Packers play in the red zone at least once. Just the kind of speed that the Packers have missed in the middle of their defense for a long time. He is everything that Josh Jones was supposed to be and more. And it's fun to watch guys like that play. Speaking of safeties playing well, though, Darnell Savage, pass breakup today, gives him seven straight games with a play on the ball, 13 total ball hawks in that span. If I had to describe him right now in a movie quote, it would be Morpheus saying he's beginning to believe in the matrix of Neo. He's seeming to put it together more and more week by week playing with confidence, playing with speed. There's still some hiccups now and then, that is for sure. But still, he's only in his second year. He's coming along. He's playing really well. And that, I think, overall is going to help the Packers secondary play all that much better. If the Packers, or if there had been members, rather, of the body language police patrolling the Packers game today, they would have caught notice of Aaron Rodgers. And you know what? I don't mind the bad body language in this game so much. Aaron Rodgers looked ticked, and I think it was justified. I don't think a lot of the stuff that was going on with the Packers' offense was because of him. I think there were some serious issues with play design tonight. I think there was some serious issues with overall approach. Again, the the wide receiver screens, putting the Packers in bad situations again and again and again, just basically burning plays, uh, especially the the more RPO-specific ones where the Packers... Um, pull a run play, and then just throw it out to Devontae Adams in the flat. That's I, I don't understand it, especially to Devontae Adams. Um, it's not really his game with the ball in his hand to shake a guy in the open field and and burst down the field. That doesn't seem like the the kind of speed that he has, and it doesn't seem like something that really fits very well with his skill set. But the Packers kept doing it again and again and again. And Aaron Rodgers got just got more and more frustrated. Hopefully he can put it behind him and go out and play well against the Titans. But the the body language is not great today. And I think it was justified. Usually when people talk about bad body language, it's it's got some negative connotations. But I don't mind Rodgers getting a little bit snippy with guys there was one screen the Packers ran I think it was to Alan Lazard Uh, it was to Alan Lazard because I remember they had Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Robert Tunyon blocking on the right side of the formation Tunyon whiffed on his block which is an even bigger problem considering who they're running the screen to Alan Lazard and the play went nowhere Lazard needs some build-up time to get rolling and if you're just going to go out and airmail your block that play is going nowhere, and it didn't. And you could read Rob, uh, Roger's lips. He said something like, Bobby, come on. And sulked a little bit on his way back to the huddle. Now, the sulking, you can take or leave. But I think the overall point here is, is true. It's it's good to see Rodgers a little bit tick sometimes. Down the stretch in the, the McCarthy era, the big issue, I think, with Rodgers was he almost seemed completely checked out. He just didn't seem like he cared all that much anymore. That last game of the McCarthy era against the Cardinals, Rodgers was ready to go home by midway through the first quarter. This was not that. This was something different. There is still going to be a certain kind of NFL commentator that sees him in this game and is like, hmm, Rodgers, poor leader. But I don't think that's it. I think that's actually some good leadership from him getting on guys a little bit, especially in a game where the offense seems to be falling apart by the play. Thought we'd finish today by talking about the Panthers' decision to kick a field goal with just over two minutes left and what that what was going on there. So this is something that's been gaining a little bit of steam in the, the analytics community for a while. The thinking is that down 11 with just over two minutes left, you kick a field goal because that gives you an opportunity to do a couple things. First, you don't have to go for the onside kick right away. You can also save a timeout because you've got the two-minute warning. And he may be able to get the ball back with fairly good field position, some time in the clock, and a timeout, or two. And then you can see about driving for a touchdown and getting a two-point conversion to tie. In a vacuum, I think that makes sense. I can see where the thinking is there. But football isn't played in a vacuum. I think there are some additional facts here that make this something of a questionable decision. First, the Panthers had to that point scored exactly one touchdown on four previous trips into the red zone. Setting yourself up on a drive where you're moving the ball pretty well to say, okay, we absolutely have to have a touchdown now on this drive that we're starting from scratch when you're already in the red zone once and about to kick a field goal is a bit of a head scratcher for me. Second, their only touchdown scoring drive began on their own 49 and still took four minutes of game time. So you only had to go just over half the field, and it still took you a third of a quarter to get there. You know when you are kicking that field goal with just over two minutes left, you are not going to have that long again. You haven't moved the ball well enough and quickly enough to get touchdowns regularly before. But now you're setting up an entire endgame strategy on being able to do that again, faster, when the defense knows exactly what you're going to do. I don't know if I like those odds. And finally, their plan resulted in them having to go 80 yards in 55 seconds and get a touchdown and a two-point conversion to tie the game, not to win, to tie. So even knowing what the numbers say, does that seem like a good idea? I need more than the numbers say it's a good idea here. The numbers are not asking you to have Teddy Bridgewater take you 80 yards in 55 seconds. The numbers are telling you the best thing to do in all situations. Every team in the league, every quarterback, every player, whatever. That's not what's happening in your game right now. A little bit of a grain of salt. I think you try to get that touchdown there and see what happens. Given how the Packers were doing on offense at that point, I don't think it's that bad of a bet. And it seems a little bit more like you're betting on yourself when you have the ball than hoping that the other team just breaks down again. Just my two cents. Maybe that's why I'm not an NFL coach. What are your thoughts? How worried are you about this game? I don't find myself being particularly worried. I don't love a clunker with three weeks to go in the regular season, but better now than in the playoffs. At any rate, if you like this podcast and you think somebody else would enjoy it, go ahead and share it with them. That's going to help more people continue to find this show and help us expand the conversation and grow this conversation we're having around the Green Bay Packers and hopefully Help all of us become smarter Packers fans, because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.